Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, what's going on? Hey, I am feeling great today, Eric, and I know you're a little bit under the weather, so I'm going to let you pause, maybe have some hot tea and feel better for when we're ready to close, and I'll tell you about my guest today. That would be great. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to ask any of you out there, if you knew this little fact that we can gain confidence just by practicing good etiquette, and why is confidence so important in keeping well. Well, it makes us feel good about ourselves. Good manners make you more pleasant and a nicer person to be around. And it draws others to you like a magnet. So do you remember when we didn't have smartphones, email, or the internet? Manners and contacting our friends and family and correspondence was so very different. And that's why today we're going to talk to Lizzie Post about etiquette for confidence in a digital world. So we have a lot of questions for her, and let me give you a short introduction. Lizzie is the great-great-granddaughter of Emily Post and author of Higher Etiquette and co-author of Emily Post Etiquette, the Centennial Edition, as well as Emily Post Wedding Etiquette and the Etiquette Advantage in Business, which many of us do have in our offices. She is co-president of the Emily Post Institute, as well as a co-host of the Awesome Etiquette podcast show, now in its fifth year, exploring the topic of etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Lizzie speaks across the country, sharing advice about lifestyle and wedding etiquette, and has worked as a spokesperson for major brands from Marshalls to American Express. She has written columns for several magazines and has been interviewed on many TV shows, including The Today Show and Fox and Friends, and interviewed by many journals, including Time Magazine and The Wall Street Journal. So Lizzie, I could go on and on, but I just want to welcome you because I have so many questions for you. Well, thank you so much. This is such a lovely space to be in. I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. (laughs) Well, it was such a pleasure to meet you here in Naples. And I was looking forward to actually asking you so many questions that we didn't have time to address when we were together. I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready for him. Bring him on, Barbara. Okay. Well, the first (laughs) thing I want you to do is share your story on how you have become an etiquette expert. (laughs) I wish I could say that there was some school or test that you get to take to earn that title, but somehow growing up in the Emily Post family and being willing to take on the mantle was what it took. So I joined the business, my family's business. It's now, I'm the fifth generation participating in the business. We're celebrating a hundred year anniversary this year, which is really exciting. Emily wrote her first book on etiquette in 1922. So very, very thrilled. But well. Uh Emily, do mention the difference in that initial book and the centennial version. 
so the initial book, it, I mean, it was a bestseller. It was a very favored book. And every five years, Emily would update the book because she found that our social norms would change. You know, we don't drop calling cards on Butler's trays in fancy houses anymore. We text each other. Hey, I stopped by, but you weren't home. <laughs> you know, right. um, and so Emily herself knew that etiquette and that especially manners change over time. And she said that while our um, main goals of being considerate and respectful and honest with people are always going to stay the same, trying to be kind and charming and just a, a good person out in the world are always going to stay the same. But the manners, the details of how we interact with one another as a society, those change over time. Emily witnessed um, things like going from being a very rare installation in a home to being everywhere. She watched the invention of the television and people threw their arms up in the air when it came out. Oh, this will kill family time and the dinner table <laughs> for good, you know? And in, in my generation, we've had to deal with the advent of email and cell phones and social media. That was a really big hurdle for us. Yes. Um, we've now got things like Venmo. We've got virtual calls, which we're on right now. There's been so much change. And what I love about my family and the business that we've been able to steward over the past hundred years is that we really believe that when two people come together, and their behavior impacts one another, you have etiquette. And that it's not mm -hmm. some rigid code of rules. It's simply how person's lives touch one another. And that's actually a quote from Emily herself. And I really love that that's how she viewed etiquette, that it wasn't about keeping us in the Gilded Age that she had grown up in or in the 1920s that she wrote this particular first edition in. It's really about moving with the times, looking to future generations for the way they want to conduct themselves and listening to that and finding the good behavior within it. And that I is just lovely love and kind. I do, I do too. <laughs> yes. Be, I mean, it's so lovely and kind. I love when two people come together. Yeah. You know, we're and touching each other's lives, just like we are now. Exactly. And it works whether you are holding a door for a stranger or picking up that dropped item that someone didn't notice they dropped, you know, or whether you're planning a wedding. I mean, the joining of two families legally, you know. Right. Business. Right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so well, many moments there we want to be careful with. <laughs> you mentioned about the installation of a telephone in someone's home, how unique that was. I know you wouldn't remember this, but we had little rotator dials we'd put our oh, fingers in and I grew and up with a dive. rotary phone. <laughs> oh good. Good. Well, I mean, so just think what your grand great great grandmother would think today with the cell phones. I know. So, before we jump into this digital world, I want to know what are the most common questions you receive on etiquette? We, it's truly a vast variety. <laughs> we, we often receive questions related to th the classics, like thank you notes, like wedding etiquette. If I'm invited to a wedding, you know, how am I navigating that RSVP? What am I wearing to the wedding? Do I have to give a gift before or after, or do I bring it to things like that? Sure. Wedding questions are always perennials for us, but we also get a lot of questions about communication. Email etiquette is one of the biggest search things on our website, along with just general correspondence. I think when it comes time to actually write 
a letter if we need to, something like a condolence note, something like a thank you note. A lot of folks haven't had a lot of experience with that because we text, we email, we communicate digitally. So that's a really big one. And of course, classics like table manners and hosting advice. I'm So always- Lizzie, I have to tell you, I have this little hint in yeah. my silver drawer uh, because friends will come over and they say, can I set the table or to help you? And I'm like, sure. I mean, this is a big group event, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure. I, I'll take all the help I can get. Yeah. And you don't want to rearrange because if they've done it wrong. So I now have <laughs> laid right on top of my silverware drawer. Mm-hmm. I have a, a picture of how it should be set. Setting? Yes, <laughs> because that. that way no one has to be embarrassed. I love that. I love that. And it doesn't put you in the awkward situation of knowing the table's wrong as the host and correcting a guest who's tried to help out. Right. That was my cheat sheet. I just had to throw that in. (laughs) And as guests, it's a really good tip. Ask how you would like, how your host would like the table set if you offer to help. Just the same way if you're making a platter or helping them serve something, you ask where it would go, who you should start with, things like that. That's lovely. Well, thank you. So let's let's jump in now. Let's what are the key email etiquette do's and don'ts? Oh, when it comes to emailing, email etiquette was really born out of letter writing. And we tend to think of email as the digital version of a letter. And I think the longer that we've had email in our lives, I don't want to say the more we stray from that, but that I think we get kind of comfortable with it being its own zone. So when we start an email, we really want to start with that classic salutation, that greeting, you know, hi, Barbara, (laughs) and then the comment, the next line down, we're going to, I'm probably going to wish you well, or say that I hope this email finds you well. And then we'll go into the business of whatever it is I'm reaching out to communicate about. And I think really making sure that we take the time to reread what we've written to read it out loud if it's something that has a lot of importance behind it maybe you are emailing guests about a change in something related to a wedding or you're emailing that client about your very important proposal or your quote for them or something like that having someone else read your email aloud to you is a really helpful tip because you're not hearing your own filter and your own voice your own intonation on all those words You're hearing someone else's version of you. And I think that is such a good test as to whether you're really communicating what you want to communicate. Could someone else read this and pick up everything I tried to put into it? So really important to reread your emails out loud. Have someone else read them if you can, if it's a very important one. Sure. Beyond that, we at the Institute try to encourage people to not close in in their actual closing with thanks, but to instead allow the thanks to be its own sentence and then close with something more traditional like best or all my best or yours truly, or regards, or sincerely, something like that. That way you don't lose the thanks along with the good, like you don't want it to get coupled in with the goodbye. You want it to stand out on its own. Oh, good tip. Thank you. (laughs) So questions about, um, sometimes I receive emails and they're capitalized. So it kind of looks like someone's yelling at me. Are they? 
it can they probably are not yelling at you i think you're in a safe zone i know you barbara <laughs> they're very much so not yelling at you but some people i actually find it harder to read because without the definition between a capital and an uncapitalized letter or lowercase letter excuse me that it's harder for me to differentiate where i'm starting and stopping where an importance is and so i don't we don't recommend using all caps as just a catch-all for all of your email great there are some people who appreciate it and i i just encourage them to know that a lot of people are nervous that you are actually yelling at them or they are finding your emails hard to read and so it's worth <laughs> considering whether or not this is really <clears throat> the most effective way for you to communicate when you're writing something well since we're talking about emotions in what we're sending what about symbols or emojis ah so this <laughs> one where we've actually changed our tune a little bit. We have hmm. found moments where emojis and certainly the exclamation point can really be helpful in conveying enthusiasm, positive vibes, those types of things in our emails. It can be really hard sometimes to tell. And we've heard a lot of feedback from millennial and Gen Z generations that the period at the end of a sentence, especially in a text message, can look very harsh, that it can, it makes everything feel quite serious to them. Whereas I think previous generations, I'm at the early side of the millennial generation. So almost a Gen X, but actually a millennial. <laughs> okay. And I find that a lot of Gen X and boomers and millennials my age are, um, they're less afraid of that period. It doesn't make them recoil and feel so serious. Whereas the exclamation point makes them feel like everything is all too exciting, <laughs> you know? And so it's really important, especially in business for us to be aware of these generational differences and use them to our advantage. When you're well, communicating and with young people, don't worry so much about those emojis and those exclamation points, you know? Okay. No, that's really important to know because sometimes even when I receive them, I laugh. Some of them are fun. I mean, they do make me feel better. I look at them saying, okay, I got that. Yeah. Now I will tell you, I receive so many emails in business. Yeah. And what I find so helpful is when someone provides a succinct subject line, Yes. then I can get through it. And, and also I want to talk about the best way to do that. And when you should start a new email, instead of having an ongoing litany of response, you know, response, response, response. Mm -hmm. So give us some guidance, please. So when we're in that response mode, so someone sent us an email, they've had all those nice greetings and everything. Our reply back should all, our first reply back should also kind of be in that more formal structure of a nice greeting with their name. And that's on its own line. You end it with a comma, start a new line. And now we get the body of the email and we close it with a nice closing and then our signature. And that should really be each person's first email should have those kinds of elements in them. After that, we're so it's just like a letter, really. Your like first ones are, are... The first one for each party is much like a letter, okay. but it's just digital. The second one is where we're in a conversation now. We're in a back and forth. And that's where you can start eliminating names. That's where you can start just moving straight into the conversation and allowing it to be. A lot of people still, even if they eliminate the name, they'll still put their initial or even their first name at the very bottom of it to kind of sign off. Sure. But once you're in that back and forth, it's okay to be in that back and forth. I really like your question about, so when do you start a new thread? 
And I think when the topic changes and we're no longer going to be referencing the types of things that were in the previous email, when the conversation has changed, that's when we want a new email thread. There are some reasons why we would want to keep things, even if it's a new question, as long as it's the same topic, keeping it within that original thread is really important. But when we jump to a new topic, I think that's when you start a new thread and it'll help people keep their own email a little bit more organized. And I think that's helpful. For example, if I want to set an appointment, I might have in my subject setting an appointment where once we have it set, I don't want to keep going back and forth on that. (laughs) Now I need some information, Mm -hmm. you know, so please send data, whatever it is. So- Okay. So it is okay to stop that one and go to the next it new is. thread. I would be careful about thinking about it though. If everything is attached, for instance, to a particular call, you might actually want to keep everything attached in that call. So your okay. subject line might be more of a, you know, our call on Thursday, and then it's the scheduling as a part of it the follow-up email or information that you need is a part of it. And then everything is contained in that one thread, which can be really nice. So it's why I kind of think if we're really jumping to a whole other area, like if you and I were setting up a call to do, for instance, this interview, we should keep everything here. But let's say you and I also were talking about doing an event. That would be a whole new email thread for us because it's a totally different topic, not related to today's call. Terrific. Well, that's helpful. Next question I have is when to use BCC when you're blind copying someone. Mm, BCC is a really tricky, tricky little device that we have. It basically (laughs) hides somebody's email when you send an email. And it means that we can sort of have people, I like to think of it as eavesdropping on a conversation, you know, (laughs) like it's sort of like they're eavesdropping. And so I think that one of the things that's really important to consider is anonymity, a big important part of this email. When I send out to our entire group of trainers a one 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 shot notice, so I'm not emailing all hundred trainers individually. Sure. But I'm sending out a big email to all of them. I be I put all of their email addresses in the BCC so that none of them receive each other's contact information without their their willingness to do so. It definitely makes things easier when people reply, they reply just to me, not the whole group. You haven't shared information unnecessarily. That's a really good use of the BCC. Well, I'm going to jump in there when you say in that piece with the BCC and they reply only to you. Mm -hmm. I think this is an opportunity to maybe share that when there is a group and it's copied, it's CC, Mm -hmm. it's not necessary to reply all. Well, every time. Yeah, it's very situational. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of times where if everybody's on that group, you really should be keeping everybody in the loop. And there are other times where you really need to just reply to the one person. If you want to have a side conversation, let's say that email that has the CCs with the group on it that everybody can see sparks something where you need to address something with just one member of the group, Mm -hmm. set up a separate email for that. Great. Um, But I think that if we're using CC, there's usually an important reason for it. And so if we don't need to be adding everybody to that email, do you know, are why are we doing it then? And so be thoughtful between the two of them. Yes. Being thoughtful about who is actually on that email. Yeah. 
Who knew there were so many little pieces to an email that we would have to stop and think about? (laughs) I had to pay a lot more attention to that one because I realized that a lot of, I don't have a personal assistant, but a lot of people have personal assistants and teams that they work with that even if you feel like scheduling something with just the direct contact that you have is what works. If I was leaving off the rest of the team in my reply, they weren't getting the information that they needed to be able to do their jobs well. And so I had to get better about replying to the whole team whenever I saw a whole team put on. Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to Hightower's Keeping the Well and Wealthy podcast, but if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now back to Barbara. Well, now we're going to get into a stickier area, and that is social media. So what would be your primary advice in maintaining etiquette on any form of social media? Get off of it. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a big fan of social media. I'm going to be really honest. I think that it. I don't feel like it's had positive impacts for a lot of people. I think there are some incredible things that have happened on it. Obviously, Emily Post is a part of social media, but I found in my own life that the more I pulled back from it, the better I did. I think that it's a place that can create a lot of frustration, a lot of anxiety, a lot of jealousy, a lot of self-doubt. And I would love it to instead be that place that's inspirational, that's that, that communicates information well to people. And it's up to us to use it in that. We can't do anything about algorithms that automatically point us towards more negative stories or things oh. like that. Facebook is known for that. This isn't a secret. This is what happens. The negative stuff is what gets pushed on us. Well, that's like the news, right? Yeah. It's Good like, stuff. Oh. It doesn't sell. It's not always. There's actually a really interesting, oh gosh, and I can't remember what town it was, but they were looking at the fact that most of their news had become very fear-based and the fact that they had um, numbers dwindling because of it. They actually weren't seen. The towns like... um, what was it? It was like their, what is it when you're like happy with like your contentment, the town's like level of contentment was going down. And the news organization found that if they stopped promoting fear-based stories, that actually changed the vibe in the town. And that this was important to them in terms of their well-being. I mean, talk about living life well, this was a big part of it. And so the town actually, the news organizations in the town made a concerted effort to be putting in a lot more human interest stories, a lot more pieces about the positive aspects going on in the town, new businesses opening, community events that were going really well and providing great things. And it made a difference. So I just want to put that out there for anyone who was- So if we use social media- (laughs) Let's put the happy stuff out there, the positive, the exactly. inspirational. I and think that's lovely. That you can't share that somebody died or that something happened. Right. But we have to be really careful about how we do that. First of all, when it comes to sharing bad news, you've got to make sure that all the immediate people in your life who would be really impacted mm-hmm. about or it have been informed personally first. You do not want your mom to find out that her sister died from a social media post, even for happy news. You don't want your sister finding out if you're close with her, that you got engaged through social media. You should be calling her and telling her that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so personal touch. Yeah, we need to be really attentive. We also have to be careful about where we redirect conversations. When someone posts about their kid's birthday party, in the comments, you don't post Mm -hmm. about how your kid's birthday party is going to be this, this, and this. 
You don't hijack that post to be about you. Keep the, the comments in the thread about the actual subject matter in the post. I think that's a really, really important one. But even talking about that, a child's birthday party, you have to think about those that were not invited that feel badly about it. So it is, it is hard going to school. You don't kind of brag about a birthday party if you didn't invite all the kids in the class. But at the same time, we also need to get tougher skinned. We really do. We need to recognize we are not going to be invited to every party. We are not going to be invited to every social gathering that our friends do. I hang out with some of my friends one-on-one. I'm pretty sure they hang out with other friends one-on-one. You think? You You know? So I think we need to take our egos out of it a little bit and help prepare our youngsters in that way to say, hey, we don't get invited to everything and that's okay. We can still be happy for them and the birthday they had, you know? That's lovely. (laughs) I appreciate that. Now let's go to um, the phone. You and I know that can be distracting. Yeah. Um, It can be unsettling sometimes when you're with someone and they pull out their phone and you're like, wait, we're, we're together. So give yeah. me some of your top tips of how, how do we use these? So our phones being in our pockets was a major game changer to, I mean, not just American behavior, but human behavior all over the world. All of a sudden we were reachable in places that we didn't ever, ever have to consider being reachable in. They are amazing tools. They are wonderful tools and they are tools that we can misuse on a regular basis and really create rude behavior in doing so. The biggest thing I can tell you is to put your phone down and be aware of the people around you. Do not be an automatic answer person. If that phone rings or if it chimes, can you wait 30 seconds, five minutes to go check it? Practicing those kinds of things at home will make you better able to do them when you're out and about or you're at an event with other people. You won't be as Pavlovian trained to pick up the phone. And I mean, that's all that's going on here. We get, there have been tons of studies done that show that when our phone chimes in general, that is a, a validation of attention coming our way. Even if the text message or the voicemail is going to be something negative, it's still validation that someone is reaching out to us that we exist in the world. Oh and my. So it pumps us up. And the more that we can get comfortable and break that automatic desire to, to feel that little pump of adrenaline, that pump of positivity, the better off we're going to be. Being able to control ourselves around our phone is going to really help build our relationships with the people around us. And every parent who has ever tried to get a kid to put their phone down at the dinner table knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I will tell you, my favorite feature on my phone is the little button on the side that makes it silent. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, because I'm with someone and, or if I'm in a restaurant and, you know, we've had this question about events or family gatherings where you've heard the story about grandma who has a basket for everyone to put their phone in some of those, I guess, techniques that are more physically it's visible. They don't have their phone Mm -hmm. because grandma wants an hour with their grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important. And I think that as a host, you're able to set those rules. We we have our advice for things like big holiday meals and things like that to, you know, invite your guests to take pictures of the spread, their plate, the table setting, whatever it is, and then invite them to please put their phones away for the rest of the meal. Oh, good idea. 
Yep. You're, you're here. Take a picture of each other, especially before you have anything on your face or something in your teeth, <laughs> you know, get it done. Well, and so many Let's people visit. want to take pictures for Instagram of their table setting or of things before we've tucked into them and the meal gets messy or something like that. Sure. And I totally get that. And we want to respect that participation in sharing the good things. But it's really something that you then have to remind yourself, oh, and now that I've got that picture, I don't even have to post it right now. I can save that for later. I can do it all later. And I can focus on the people that I'm with. And that is so important when it comes to our phones. Well, speaking about being with the people we are with, let's talk a little bit about having dinner in a restaurant or in a club or being out in a public situation. And I don't know about you, even on the plane before we take off, I hear someone behind me having what I would consider a very personal conversation (laughs) at a very high decibel level. Yes. um, Especially when we're on trains and planes and buses, um, there is this kind of background noise. I mean, obviously plane, we've got all that engine noise and, you know, you're in the little capsule, but at the same time it is kind of loud. And so we have a tendency to speak louder. Um, And I think we need to be aware of that. And I was on a flight recently, not the one home from Naples, but a different one (laughs) where, um, where there were two women about five seat back from me that were, I mean, they were talking so loudly. I will totally cop to the fact that I turned around and kind of was like hoping I might catch an eye to be like, but at the same time, I think if I had caught that eye, I wouldn't have had the guts to tell them to shush. You know what I mean? Mm. It wouldn't have been the polite move. But they were getting a lot of looks from people around them because they were laughing so loudly and everyone knew the details of this conversation they were having. And it was like, it was so great for them that they were having a good positive moment. It was so unfortunate that that positive moment then created such an uncomfortable time for the rest of the people. I mean, we had headphones on and could still hear the whole conversation. That's too loud. That is too loud. That's too loud. And so we have to be aware of the people around us and how we might be impacting them and reminding ourselves that on planes, trains, and buses, it is really important to keep our voices low. It's also really important to pay attention to whether or not the person we're speaking with is interested in talking to us. We One of the questions we get frequently is, I telling someone I wanted to read a book or watch a movie or listen to a podcast while I was sitting next to them on an airplane and they wouldn't stop talking to me. What do I do? <laughs> it's like, And so what do you do? At some point when you've done enough of the like, like three or four of the polite, I'm sorry, I'd really like to tuck into my book. So I'm going to stop talking now. And they keep talking. At some point you really can just do the thing of putting your headphones in and pulling out that book. And if you're lucky, they actually stop. If they don't, this is someone who's clearly not good at observing social behavior. And that's where rather than be angry at them, I try to be forgiving and to say, you know what, like they're not picking up on it. I understand that I'm not going to be a jerk to them back for it, but I'm also not going to engage like, cause I don't have to, this is a stranger, you know, sure. we have to remember that sometimes that politeness does only have to go so far at a certain point. I'm not trying to advocate for rudeness, but at a certain point you have to, I think, take care of yourself. Yeah. You protect know? yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And as a professional, so mm-hmm. in business etiquette, Are there particular things we should think about specifically on phone usage and Ah. taking, and, and I guess this is one of the things I always feel like I should ask someone if I could take a picture or if it's something we're doing socially, if I, if it's okay to post it, I just like getting an, 
and okay. Permission. I think it's really important. I have friends whose businesses are well known enough and they're they are big enough kind of people in the world that they don't take pictures socially. They don't they it's too big a risk for them to end up on Facebook. And so they won't they ask, you know, if you're gonna take a picture, I'm gonna step out of it or I'm happy to do a group photo, but I have to ask that nobody post it online. And I think that's perfectly fine. And we should respect it when we get those requests, just the same way we respect it when someone says, I'm sorry, I don't want po- photos of my child posted online. Oh, for sure. That's really important. We respect it when there's children involved. We should respect it when adults are involved too. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so when you're a guest and let's say you're in an uncomfortable situation where you mentioned how lovely when someone takes a picture of the table and they're going to post it later. But when you're a guest and people taking photos and right then posting things, is it appropriate to say anything or how would you handle the situation if you felt uncomfortable? It would really depend. It would depend on the situation. I mean, I think in some ways, this is a little bit the world that we live in. And as long as there, this is a hard one because on the one hand, I think people are really free to capture their own life and then, and display that how they wish to. And at the same time, when they're capturing your life and displaying it how they wish to, I think you get a little bit of a say in that. We've certainly had people say things like they did an open house for their for their their new home. They did a, home, a housewarming party and friends came and posted pictures of every single room on to social media. And they were oh, really yikes. by that. And so we want to give that person the encouragement to say, I, I appreciate it if people want to take photos of the party and post them, but please refrain from really posting pictures of the house. And that's an awkward thing to have to say to anybody. Yeah, you, know? you would think there'd be some respect for privacy. But I, today, I have to tell you, I, I'm not sure people have the same limits that we might have had in the past. We don't have the same limits that we have in the past. We also don't have the same, we have different capabilities that, that from True. the past. You know what I mean? When you threw a dinner party in 1950, you did not have to worry about those photos ended up in a public forum. When you throw a dinner party now, it's very likely that some pictures from that party are going to end up online. And as hosts, those are things we have to think about, we have to reckon with, and we have to decide whether we're going to ask our guests not to do that type of thing, or whether we're just going to say, you know what, this is a part of the world today. And I, we at Emily Post try really hard not to say one is right, more right than the other. But I do think what's really hard is that because people are so used to being able to post, mm-hmm. and especially when the post is something positive, if someone loves the way your living room is decorated, and they want to say, look at this gorgeous living room room they a lot of times they're thinking how could that be anything but good and of course this is just it's just positivity it's just good vibes it's good things at the same time if it makes somebody uncomfortable is it really that good you know what I mean and I think that's a it's an individual question that we have to wrestle with whenever we're somewhere so get used to asking permission that's probably the best way to be polite when it comes to photos and Instagram and capturing our lives Well, I'm going to flip back here a minute and talk a little bit about thanking people. Okay. So if I'm invited to someone's home for dinner, I first, this has nothing to do with digital. Do you always take a hostess gift? Number one. And then number two, we're going to talk about thanking them the appropriate way. So first of all, do we always take a hostess gift? 
So this really depends on you and your social circle and the particular event or the reason that you're going to the house. So if it's my first time visiting your house, Barbara, I am definitely bringing it. Right. And at Emily Post, we really try to have uh, change it to hosting gift because we are not all hostesses. And I think it's important to recognize that, that really we live in a world that has more than two genders. And not only do men entertain, and sometimes there is no hostess of the house, um, but lots of people who are gender nonconforming also entertain. And so by changing that to a host gift or a hosting gift. I like that. Thank you. Hosting gift. Now, I'm now going to have hosting (laughs) gifts. I do love that. Thank you. It was a change that we made in this 100th anniversary edition that I was really happy to make because anytime we can make the book more inclusive, we really try to do that. We find that respecting people's identities is a really important component of etiquette nowadays. And if we want to be respectful, considerate people out in the world, being inclusive is really a part of that. Oh, that's um, lovely. So, all right. I, so, I, so, yeah, I do, do I take a hosting gift if I, I'm going to my girlfriend's house. I see her all the time. No, I think I no. don't have to do I'm that. Be right. Really honest. I, unless you know, unless it's a big deal, though. It if might it's a be, big deal. Okay. So, for her holiday party, right. through a big Hanukkah event this year, and you're like, I'm going to that. I'm going to bring something special to that. I think we really need to use our own judgment and to not just think, oh, there's a hard and fast rule and I can just follow it. But instead, what's the occasion? What's the relationship? And use those things to guide us. Often we say special occasions and first time visits are the really important ones to nail down. If you were raised by someone who said to you, you always have to bring something, then generally you're probably always going to bring something and there's no fault in that. But there's also no fault in not bringing something. Hosting gifts were actually considered by Emily Post to be bribery. In the very first couple of editions, she doesn't even talk about them really. What we find is that or actually she might mention them. She says they're not usually brought. I had, there's a wonderful sociologist who got a grant to study all 20 editions of Emily Post etiquette to see oh my gosh. how behavior and civility changed in America over a hundred years. And not only did she find that we do get more inclusive, the books get more inclusive as time goes on, but I asked her to look up host and gifts specifically. And she said that at first Emily said, no, you would never do it. It's considered bribery. And you don't have to bribe someone for their hospitality thing. It's a generous thing they are bestowing upon you. And if you were to offer flowers or wine or chocolates, it would make it seem like their hospitality wasn't enough that you had to pay them for it somehow. Oh my goodness. What a know, different right? way to think about look it. at that. By the 70s, it was their optional, or I think by the 50s, it might have been optional. And by the 70s, it was pretty much like, yeah, you just bring one. And then by the 90s, we were into, it really depends on the situation. And so it's even changed over time. But I think we, again, first time visits, special occasions are really times to consider it. If you know somebody really appreciates it, that great, but that's great. But I also really want to put out there, no host should ever expect one. You should not be throwing parties to get gifts. That's not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I've attended the party, is it okay to just send a thank you email? Or is the standard written thank you note appropriate? I I mean, what, 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 what's changed? 
for that friend whose house you go over to all the time, honestly, just a text message the next day that says, thank you so much. That was such a great night. Oh my gosh, I'm going to need to grab that recipe for that chocolate cake. Whatever it is, I think that that you can comment nicely about the party, put in a couple details and really say thank you to your host. Text message is fine. Phone call, even better. Handwritten note, I like to reserve for the special parties. And for the special moments or for when you feel really inspired. I think about those moments right after we got vaccinated where I was able to really go to people's houses and feel confident being entertained in their home, not just (laughs) outside by the fire pit, but like going to a real dinner party again. It was such a thrill. And it filled my heart with such joy to have that level of socialization that I broke out the stationery because it really felt that way, even though it was for a very casual friend, you know, it was like not like someone who would never think about getting a thank you note for something like just having you over for pizza or something. Well, it's always a delight to receive one. But yeah, so So the recipient appreciates it. I think that's the real thing with a handwritten thank you note. It's never a bad idea. Right. It's not always a must do, but it's never a bad idea. (laughs) Well, Lizzie, I have learned so much from you today. Waiting and reviewing before hitting and sending an email, speaking softly in our cell phones or not at all in public areas. (laughs) Nice ways to thank others, whether it's a text, a phone call, or a handwritten note. And I think a lot of the little tips you gave us today, I'm going to use myself. So thank you so much for that. And now, Lizzie, as we near our time together, I have to ask you how you keep your well in wealthy. Oh, let's see. I feel like there are a couple things recently that have changed for me. I've got to admit, Barbara, I was not a happy person in my late 30s. I really... I felt very sad about where I had come to in life, even though there was a lot going on around me that was good. It was kind of hard to see the bright spots and really feel them. I might know them up up here in my head, Mm -hmm. but to feel it in your heart is really different. And I didn't want to be a sad person. And one of the things that I changed in my life was really trying to bring my nicest self to my community. And in that, I mean, when I go for a walk with my dog, I smile and say hi to everybody that I pass. And when I'm at the grocery store, I try hard to look for moments where I could let someone go ahead of me, whether that's crossing me in an aisle or that's in the line. I try to look for moments where I can be gracious and generous and positive to the people around me in my community. And it really changed my life. I know that recently you've had on an author that talked a lot about gratitude. And I will say, I was one of those people who, when I first heard about writing gratitudes every day, I was like, oh, whatever. I know I'm grateful for the things in life. I know I'm privileged. I know all this. Why would I have to do it? Why would you do it daily? Boy, when I started doing it daily, it really became powerful. I have been so happy in my life. I've been so... Well, you do count your blessings. I do. You do. And so I really think that for me to keep the well and wealthy is about being the person that I would like to be to my community and to my family 
and frankly the person that I would hope others could be to me but I don't expect it in return it's like you don't give it to get it you give it because it's good it's good to smile at that person it's good to say excuse me please thank you you're welcome and I'm sorry these are good things to put into our lives and they help build our relationships at Emily Post we really believe that etiquette is about building the relationships in your life and building them well. And I have been so blown away at how, I mean, I really thought when the pandemic hit, this is it. I'm going to be single and childless forever. I'm going to, you know, nobody makes me a priority, any of this. And being able, I think, to have the space from the social world to then when I was re-engaging with it, trying that act of engaging in it so positively and with such a concerted effort of awareness of the people around me, it just completely changed my life. It made me feel so grateful for everything that's happened up until now. Husband and kids aside, I right. really love my life. And that's I'm wonderful. Grateful for it. So that's my thing is actually really applying a lot of the etiquette I talk about to every person that I meet, if I can. And that hmm. doesn't mean I don't have bad days too. <laughs> get, like, oh my gosh, Lizzie, you're normal. You know, I'm, human. I'm a normal person. <laughs> but I, we all are and we all deserve that. But I really have gotten a lot out of trying to be that polite and happy and positive person out in my community. And that was a mental shift for me. Well, thank you. And Lizzie, <laughs> I really appreciate your comments about your own life, how you found your well and wealthy, as well as your gracious tips on handling a multitude of etiquette issues in regards to our digital world. And I'm feeling more comfortable myself having heard your suggestions. And I will have more awareness and how I practice such manners. And I like your mission to just make others more comfortable. So thank you again, Eric, do you have any questions for Lizzie? Or have you nailed the manners of electronic media? <laughs> oh, I'm working on it. But I'll tell you what, Lizzie, I'm hoping that my, I'm going to send my mother-in-law this podcast because if we can get her to cut down from 15 to 20 emojis on every text, <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody else out there that has this. Oh, that's cute. Life. I love it in a way, but we all sit there with like a cryptic, is this another message that we're supposed to decipher <laughs> 15 emojis? And yeah, it just never works out well. So hopefully she can figure that out. But no, this is fantastic information. Lizzie, if people want to learn more, where do they go to learn more about what you do? Well, everyone can find us at emilypost.com where our, our latest book is available along with tons, tons, I mean, just hundreds of articles on etiquette advice. You can also learn more about Emily Post and her personal history. She was a fascinating woman and she has a really fabulous biography out by a woman named Laura Claridge. So whether you're interested in Emily Post, etiquette for your own life, or just exploring what etiquette might be about, we are available to you at emilypost.com. You can also find us on all social media. And we have a Substack that we are really proud to promote. This is our newsletter. You get weekly advice and tips and inspiration from us along with access to our podcast. And it's really, it's been an excellent community growth spot for us. So we really hope folks will come join us over on Substack. Thank you. And Barbara, I, I want to hear some final thoughts from you because just through these podcasts, you've taught me better etiquette. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, I just think having met Lizzie um, has reinforced all of the joy I found 
in everything I've done for other people mm. and anything we can do for others or our community, that's etiquette. It's making others feel good about themselves. And if we can help do that, it just is heartwarming. And feeling good ourselves is part of that confidence, right? Yeah. And so it's how I'm getting my well and wealthy today. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Well, again, Lizzie, thank you so much. And Barbara, of course, thank you for facilitating this. Another wonderful guest. And our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review. as This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.